strengthening and nourishing citta. So, bearing this in mind, and just to sense are you aware of what your citta, your heart, your awareness, your sense, your sensibilities, your sensitivities, what they, what is needed. Sometimes just even asking yourself that question, and maybe just the first, oh, you know, thought, first movement might arise, space, or ease, or comfort, or warmth, or... They're not necessarily to be taken literally, but um, they're saying something, saying there is a need, and... uh, Maybe we don't get the word right, but just to be able to recognize something saying something's needed, well, what's that? Mm. And uh, how do I relate? One has to learn to um, cultivate relationship. Uh, conditioned life is one where we're very much um, jitta gets fixated upon form, feeling, perceptions, and um, consciousness and activations and programs, conditions, conditioning factors, which are very much bound up with the sense realm and the human realm, and the social realm, and the family realm, and the national, and the social and work, and so forth. So it, it picks up those with their pleasures, and their discomforts, and their rhythms, and their um, imperatives you know, to make, to do, to progress, to, and so on. So it, it's just, that's what it's acclimated to, it gets used to that. And then, Recognizing this, really the long term for this is not great. Uh, And even the short term, it gets extremely stressful to try to manage all this in a way which feels harmonious. Because essentially it's not not really a workable model. (laughs) As attached to anyway, it's something we can learn to relate to. uh, But searching for expecting it to work or to feel comfortable or to feel constant or steady is something to wake up from (laughs) definitely Uh, but we relate to it which means like this learning how to just recognize well all those things should be done could be done they don't get done in fact to recognize the limitations and even the failings and the inadequacies of this whole bundle. It's not going to work. It's not going to get done. It's not going to be steady, constant, leading onwards to uh, serenity and comfort. It's going to be a struggle. And uh, we'll get, definitely we'll get some, you know, some boosts now and then. But it's all... uh, takes a lot of energy to keep it going and there'll always be something going wrong 
something slipping off, somebody getting sick, somebody dying, my own body getting sick. Mm. Yeah. Um, being disagreeable perceptions from other people, feeling uncomfortable with others, other people feeling uncomfortable with me. Bosses who we fear, <laughs> or employers who don't turn up on time or whatever. All this kind of stuff goes on. So relating to it, this is of course um, the dukkha, conditioned dukkha, and relating it with the mind of don't expect this to work. Uh, if you let go of that idea, you'll be a lot happier. Uh, they're struggling and just deal with the, the frictions and the clashes with a mind that's spacious and can uh, digest this chafing. The jitta needs to be nourished and strengthened to to bring that around. So we're still relating to physical body, um, mental programs, uh, behaviors, uh, uh, things that have become established in ourselves, past karma, accumulations. They're like this. Mm. It's disengagement. It's like this. Mm. And a quality of um, patience and acceptance and goodwill is required to facilitate that disengagement. Because there's a certain shock that comes when we touch, when we recognize dukkha, jitta that's been associated with formations, with bodies, with our own body, with its health, with its vigor, with its youth. Um, feels confused and lost to recognize its health and its, a- its sickness and its aging and its failings. Jitta mm. has been accustomed, been trained into uh, achieving happiness through uh, work, um, property, wages and so forth. Feels confused when it finds out this doesn't work. What am I supposed to do? Jitta has been used to going fast and harder and harder to get good results, finding it only gets stressed, finds itself confused when it's saying, well, just, you know, let go of that, relax. Well, what? what? What's that? Where do I go? It's got nothing to moor itself in. So this need to nourish and sustain. Jitta is profoundly permeable, influenced and infl- and by these aggregates, as they arise in our, in our existence. Some of them we call ourselves, some of them we call other people, some of them seem to be the world around us, but they can all be, all this can be condensed into qualities of form and what is received through consciousness and the perceptions and meanings and values and, uh, you know, agreeable, disagreeable contacts that arise in that realm. So this weaning and strengthening. So instead of being in a fixated or confused or just, you know, 
relationship. One is in a more spacious one whereby quality, the heart is not troubled. Disengaged, not troubled. And when the the um, when the Buddha taught his basic movement of, of entering uh, or picking up this uh, realm was one of primal sympathy and ocampa. Certain resonant sentient beings are here. Those with a little dust in their eyes, sentient beings are here. Mm. That sense of a shiver of recognition. Therefore, something warms up. And his first inclination was, well, what's, where's the work, work, what what can do with the understanding he had? So he thought of his his former teachers. First thing came to mind. Even though they hadn't taught him the path that he found, at least they were people who tried to look after him you know, and tell him what they knew. So they didn't teach him the way to enlightenment, but they did try to teach him what they knew and they taught him what they knew. So just even recognizing that gift, he, he well, then they meant well. You know, they, they, you know, they had a heart of goodwill towards me. I don't, so therefore, I will go and help them. This primary resonance. Then he found out they were both dead. Okay. So then he considered his five former companions who'd rejected him, <laughs> said he wasn't doing good enough. So even though they, the relationship had they'd fallen out with each other, still he think, well, you know, even though they were trying, you know, in their own way to cultivate, so I'll go, I'll go and teach them. Even though they, and when he, so he went that way, and of course they weren't pleased to see him. In fact, they said, we're not going to listen to this guy in their own language, in their own way. We won't even get up, see him, you know, he's, a, he's washed out, he failed. But when he walked into where they were staying in the park, they were just so st- struck by his, his bearing and his radiance and his presence. They found themselves more or less instinctively just, you know, get up, offer him a seat, sit down. And then he had to tell them two or three times, listen. You know, have you ever seen? Have you ever seen me like this before? <laughs> and so it's really having to kind of put it across to them. So they weren't they weren't easy to to teach or to relate to. But still, that that sense of there is a relationship here. It may be afflicted, difficulty, but you know, seeing that, that interest and establishing a connection to those. And then he went to see his. Parents also weren't too pleased either. Uh, in fact, they were pretty unpleased because they didn't want him to go forth in the first place. Then he basically you know, left after years and years of pleading and, and arguing and so on because he hadn't done the son's duty, which was to inherit the, the, the kingdom or the principality, whatever it was. So he basically shirked his funda- most fundamental duty in, um, in the society of that day was to pick up the family responsibilities and he just dumped them all. 
so he they felt he dumped them but he, so he, he walked all the way back from southern Bihar up to Nepal which is a fair pretty long walk in order because they are you know so these very it's interesting when one looks at the career these very primary sympathies even though they weren't friends uh, as such this is a really really important thing to to recognize that the sympathy is almost cellular tissue sympathy you could say at that level or recognizing you know this too is a sentient being who one has some connection to some association with then even though it that that connection is is got damage in it still it's a connection therefore move into that with a mind of goodwill, caring, you know, offering. And clearly he wasn't, when he talked to them, he wasn't, he was telling it straight. He wasn't, um, you know, apologizing. Uh, in fact, he, he came, went back because he, he uh, felt now he had something positive to offer them the path to the deathless, which eventually they picked up. But they weren't that friendly first. It was a disgrace. So this Maha Karuna, great Karuna, great compassion of the Buddha. There's a sense of relationship And a, a small note on that, um, it's then when the, the Buddha gave his first teaching, teaching on the Four Noble Truths to the disciples or his former colleagues, teaching the noble path, right view, right intention, right aim, and so on. And so the, the resonance of this radiated through the whole cosmos on the Serene beings, the devatas started rejoicing. They said, even down in the lowest hell realms, where it's completely black and miserable and wretched, there was a flash of light. And at that moment, they said that the people in hell found out, oh, there are other people here. <laughs> they said, oh, there are other beings here. At that moment, there, their hell realm lifted just enough to see you're not just stuck in on your own. <laughs> As if that first thing, the first luminosity is just the sense of, you know, relationship or the potential for relationship rather than just being completely encased in oneself. You know, there are others who are in this together, even if it's miserable. So you see how even that, even hell, that's considered a a boon. And working on cultivating with that attitude, uh, we realize, well, when you're practicing mindfulness of your body, you're still supposed to be a relationship there. 
you know, it's not a brick wall, it's a sentient tissue, so it's a sense of caring and skillfulness and sensitivity and it's not pleasant, it's not always pleasant. If it's not pleasant, it means even more. One should have an attitude of goodwill, acceptance, care and concern. And what um, always obscures this, this message is the personality view, which is an isolationist view. That is, we tend to identify or, or with or take as our, as our um, orientation around being a separate entity. That's fundamentally what I am. I'm more, I'm a separate entity with my own name, my own particular body, my own life, my mind, my mind states. That's definitely, that's the starting place. Um, that's, that's, that's the, that's the foundation that I need to work on. So, no, that's not the foundation. The foundation is, is sentient being, uh, experiencing sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, <laughs> and having the potential for awakening. That, that's the foundation. That's the, that's the starting place, not the person. You, you relate to the person. You don't start with the person. You relate to it. And uh, because it's a rather difficult program to relate to with its complexities and its magnetic pulls and its no-go areas and its uh, you know, sensitivities, it gets very reactive whenever we come, come into focus. It's saying, well, first of all, just relate to this body as, as elements. So when the Buddha taught Anapanasati, for example, you know, to particularly instances, well, there's several, it comes up quite a lot. But some of the more interesting accounts are when he, he first gave the sutta in Savati. It was after the Sangha had been gathered there for over three months. And they, during that three months, they've all been gone through an intense um, training in Dhammavinaya. Yeah, through the great arahants, teaching them all the various meditation systems. So the Buddha, at the end of it, oh, you've all done really well, so I'll, I'll hang around for another month. And at the end of that month, so that's four months of practice, he said, then we'll I'll teach you mindfulness of breathing. So, hmm, quite a build-up. When he taught his son, Rahula, his son, who, who left home when the Buddha came back to, to, Sawa, to Kapilavastu, so his son left home when he was seven. So by the time he was about 18, the Buddha felt, I think he's ready to... Uh, so for 11 years, just getting down some basic stuff, uh, growing up, being looked after by Sariputta, and then when he was, they say, about 18, the Buddha taught him four elements, five elements, including space. And then Brahma Vihara, the uh, meditations on uh, goodwill, sympathy, compassion, uh, appreciation, 
compassion, uh, equanimity, uh, the unattractiveness of the body, physical body, and then mindfulness of breathing. So, clearly mindfulness of breathing, although one could start with that even, because it's got a certain calming thing to begin with, it's the easing in, breathing in, breathing out, it gives you a, a kind of focal point. But my experience is that by and large people are recommended to move in and out of it, keep returning to it, and move in and out of that, shifting uh, particular qualities the chitta needs to be able to sustain that kind of focus in a way that doesn't get gripped and whereby uh, hindrances uh, are, are, are laid because to sustain uh, that attention on breathing in and out in a way that's, that's fruitful isn't always available particularly in the nature of attention being easily goes to fixation and easily once you get to anything of that nature it's easy to get into the intention that seeks to progress and get onto the next thing and try to get it right uh, uh, and uh, and that always uh, interrupts the quality of ease the involuntary quality of ease and calming in the body even to get the body to feel comfortable for many people, it's quite a struggle. You know, so you have to do walking, standing, sitting, reclining, relaxing, and just even coming out of the body to into the territory you're in and just feeling warmth and friendliness towards other beings. So keep the atmosphere clean. Because the atmosphere in which we dwell begins to you know, accumulate some of these... Um, dissonances we can feel um, afflicted we can feel lost we can feel rejected or alone of this nature because this is the nature of jitta it's not really in the body as such in the physical body it's not in the isolated form it's something that has no particular boundaries to it but it, you might say its basic state is awareness of experience, which sometimes can be microscopic, macroscopic. It can be things from the past, the future, other people. All this, you know, that's your experience. It just is that which is aware of all that. And certainly you can resonate these experiences throughout, through the subtle material realm, you know, which is embodied, but it's not in the body. It's in it's participates in the embodiment experience. It's where one is sentient and is aware of sentiency, where one is recognizes the body as in its subjective living vitality state. Then this is definitely a fruitful place to cultivate. But that um, cultivation of that definitely requires the skills of uh, sensitive. Uh, steady uh, atmosphere of jitta. So when the Buddha taught his son, Rahula, first of all, just to contemplate this form in its simplest impersonal state, 
not as a person, not as a man or a woman, not as old or young, but just as the experience of uh, solidity, firmness, earth element, that which occupies space. And conceptually, one can visualize and imagine one's skeleton, one's firm tissues, uh, the, the fleshiness of the body, one can visualize it or imagine it, or directly experience the sense of occupying space, a certain massiveness to it, a certain sense of firmness, which could fluctuate between rigid, where it seems, hey, you know, the bone is supposed to be rigid, but not the belly. What's happening here? This is tension. So you're contemplating the, 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 the things in terms of the earth element, in terms of the uh, air element, which is the sense of something moving, which can be breath, it can be energy running through the limbs, it can be the, even the movement of the body through space. The sense of the mobility of experience, which is innate to, to the body. Mm -hmm. So if we contemplate the body, not so much visually, but in the body's own terms, you know, the body is a moving thing, isn't it? Even if you're sitting still, it's still moving. It's still breathing in and out. There's still stuff moving through it. So we put aside the visual, which is very much supports the personality view, because you don't look like anybody else. <laughs> uh, so you put that aside instead experience this uh, sense of mobility. Is that, that's the nature of a body. It's not the body is something separate from mobility. The body is, it's not that the body is naturally uh, still and it moves. The body is never still. And it's, it's dead, right? So this is a property that's, that's there. So we contemplate body and even any form. You can see forms around you, bodies of other people, birds, things moving through the sky, firmness, trees, rocks, and so on. You see, so you can see these elements within and without and contemplate them. You know, this is firm when you when you feel it, hold it, push it, you feel that contact. This is the earth element. Um, the impression that arises. So we go, so the, the, we come to the more directly felt perceptual experience, not just the description. Nobody would say their, their body looks like earth, it looks like flesh. But if you push it, it feels like firmness, doesn't it? It also feels like warmth and a fiery quality to it. You know, your own body, other people's bodies are warm. You can detect that. That is its nature. It's not there's a body that's separate from warmth. The body is warmth. That's how it manifests. As a, and even subtle, more subtly speaking, it's it's vitality, 
which is also considered part of what we call the fire element. The ability to receive warmth, to warm up, and to lose warmth. That's its, that's its warmth faculty. The ability to experience vitality, huge, flaring, raging, and subdued. That's the fire element. That's what we experience. Isn't that right? You may think, oh, you know, my, my fingers are cold. But what you experience is, you contemplate it, you experience a sense of, you know, fire element gone out, and maybe difficult, unpleasant feeling. And then one, you know, orient, uh, begins to describe that as my fingers. Because all the elements tend to mix together, so you feel the firmness, the coolness, the warmth, mixing together, the mixing together. And just imagine if we just contemplated the cool rather than my fingers cool. How would that be? The sharpness. The fire element is then the way, one of the ways in which body manifests, manifests in firmness, manifests in terms of its mobility, manifests in terms of its vitality, heat, light, radiance, warmth, subtle, gross. It manifests in terms of its cohesiveness, the water element. One part feels what another part feels. You get a pain in your shoulder, your whole body feels tense. The ripple of disagreeable feeling rolls across it. You can't really separate the body into bits and pieces as a living experience. You know, if you feel you've got sickness in your, in your belly, all of you feel sick. If you feel health, all of you feel sick. It doesn't localize. effects of it. So it's a cohesiveness. Without cohesiveness it wouldn't be able to move, would it? You can't stand up without the body orienting around how to move the legs, the back, the arms, the head, the whole thing has to flow together or you can't stand up. You can't stand up just using a foot. (laughs) You can't stand up just using a leg. You have to have a foot and a leg. You can't stand up without operating your back. And so on. So this sense of things operating together, cohesive, water, the fluidity, the flowingness is again not something the body picks up occasionally, but is innate to the experience of body. Things flow, things merge, things blend, things suffuse. We contemplate it like this. And this is maybe more helpful than recognizing one has a you know a twinge in one's shoulder or a cold foot or something like that, because then well what, what's that? You can only experience a feeling of discomfort, and then naturally we don't like it. But if we experience say the sense of pressure or heating or lack of heating, some way in which the relationship is rather different. It's more universal, more impersonal. And this is, say, um, 
something you can cultivate because you can also open up to just not include your own physical form but form the world of form around you you know the people and living creatures all are these elements and space body experiences space without space it would be crushed the space within the body in the throat in the mouth as it opens the space you can feel spaciousness in your belly or your chest you can always feel space around your body when you do walking meditation it's good to you know bring awareness to to the whole body which includes the space around it you couldn't walk without the space no space you would not be able to walk right so that space is not something separate from walking it's an innate factor of walking <laughs> you know we may think primarily there's my legs are walking or my feet are walking they wouldn't walk if there was no space would they You'd just be squashed flat so it's not even that the body is you know one can say the body is walking through space but actually what's happening is space firmness vitality and mobility are flowing together correct so then we might bring more attention to the space through which we're walking imagine it visualize it as something like water or mist that you walk through just draw your attention out not you know way out disconnected but just to a more uh, spacious uh, and actually very realistic um, focus because in space and all these elements the Buddha said make your meditation like earth because earth has no opinions it doesn't you can kick it you can spit on it uh, it's fine it doesn't matter you make your make your meditation like water you can pee in it you can doesn't water doesn't mind it's just like that make your meditation like that make your meditation like space connect to space feel space be aware of that then whatever moves through space is just something moving through space if you draw your attention to the space element then the afflictions of the of the earth element are no longer so primary if you draw your attention to the to the space element then the afflictions of the fire element are no longer so dominant because you're focusing on space so you can moderate your focus the fundamental theme being that if you whatever is afflicted difficult stuck locked unhappy miserable you don't focus on it until your jitter is able to to really you know pull out to to take the disease out to and so you look first of all for a reference point that is not afflicted where one can get nourishment encouragement space space element is a useful one i think for many people of course if space could be afflicted i feel completely alone so distance from everybody else and so on so you know whichever one then you want to focus more on the uh, on the brahma vihara <laughs> yeah loving kindness compassion 
sympathy, gladness, appreciation, mutuality, uh, evenness of mind, serenity, ability to accommodate differences, equanimity, the ability to accommodate, you know, uh, all kinds of dissonances and differentiations, equanimity. Equanimity, you know, is able to scan all of it and not get snagged in the goods and the bads and the should be better and what's gone wrong with that, you know, just, so it's a very wide span. So, you know, working through some of these qualities, uh, why I say the space element, uh, earth element definitely gives one a firmness. Problem with earth element is when it gets rigid, fixed, stuck, you know, it loses mobility. So we maybe try the, the, the air element, both breathing and also the sense of the body moving, contemplate movement. Get stuck, move. If subtle movement is enough, then make the movement more obvious. Walking, uh, moving around. If you're getting stuck in one place, move around the, you know, outside. You know, widen your, widen your movement. But you don't want to go into just being locked down, which can happen in, in retreat situations. We are, we're certainly in a somewhat boundaried space because this is for our welfare, you know, non-intrusion. But remember, the space is, is quite large. It's supposed to be that way. So you've got time to, to move around. Feel free to move. If movement just makes you feel restless and agitated and too, too stimulated, well, you know, then you can just sit down quietly. You know, if that, you know, and then of course one can just go into the space. Space, I think, is very helpful, although we do lose it. So um, probably you notice that with fixations, both when they're somatic, physical, Emotional, you get stuck in some emotional pattern that's nagging and stuck. It's obsessive behavior that's nagging and stuck. You know, fantasies, agitation, ill will, very stuck. Uh, animosity towards oneself or feeling unlovable. Then you can't really go to the unlovable and say, cheer up, doesn't work. <laughs> but you go into the space around the body, even the space in your mind, if you can begin to pick that theme up, you might need to pick it up first of all as the as the more material sign, even though it's not material, but in the material realm, the space in the room, space around my body, the space as I walk through it, I feel it. I feel it opening in front of me. I feel it not the the not penned in. You pick up the sign, focus on it, make much of it, dwell upon it. What the mind does with that, how it affects the chitta. The chitta picks up the sign. The chitta becomes more open. Make your mind like space. Then disagreeable impressions will not stick in it. Just like the space, there's not nothing gets stuck in it. So, um, mind like space... 
things don't get stuck in it. Physical space, psychological space, it's up to you, permission, it's your time, your life, space to be how you are, space to be with how it is. Removal of goals, removal of momentum, so psychological space, keep granting yourself this. Space between thoughts. Space through which thoughts cascade. The listening mind through which thoughts cascade, tumble, spiral. The listening mind. Space, a space element. Cultivate these. Cultivate a mind of goodwill. Now, in the, in the first set, the four ele- the elements, we re- are really working with the rupakanda, but also sanya, perception. So the datus are manifest, or rupa is, comes into our awareness in these terms, but it comes in through being perceived as such, and one can establish such perceptions, means you look out for those signs that give rise to that. You attend to signs that give rise to the fire, the vitality, the warming. You attend to signs that give rise to the experience of spaciousness, coolness, embracing, inclusivity. You you look to signs that give rise to fluidity, movement, mobility, they're there. Look to the sign, what sign is needed, pick it up, the sanya, the impression, the meaning, make much of it. What would it be like if there were more of this? What would it be like if I dwelt in this? What would it be like if I persistently put down, relinquish, let go of, got less interested in the things that block my space? obstruct my space, the sankharas, the signs, the sanyas that do that, even checking it out, you know, why am I so, my mind so full of stuff that I can't deal with, other people's stuff, stuff in the past, stuff about the world that I can't actually deal with anyway. <laughs> well, you deal with it by finding space and then you, the spaciousness you can sense this piece I could generate some goodwill towards or some appreciation towards or gratitude towards or forgiveness towards or basically yes we're all like that towards <laughs> you know, yes it goes like that towards yes I too have felt those feelings unpleasant ignoble, difficult, yeah. You know? Ground floor, metta, basic sympathy, patience, non-violation, non-objectifying. So, 
this quality of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, these qualities as you uh, can reflect upon them. Their modality is nobody's an object, everybody's a subject, just like me, we might say. Is a, a phrase. Uh, and where it goes wrong is when we see other people as objects, caricatures, uh, personae in our psychodramas who are always like this, who dwell in our hearts like puppets and come out and haunt us, um, or annoy us or make us feel sorrowful or lost. Uh, and in that state, we don't, we no longer feel sympathy or relationship to them. We just feel you know, please go away. Objectifying. And how the fundamental afflictions that uh, occur between human beings is taking each other as some kind of object of my mind who didn't live up to what I wanted, who didn't do what I wanted them to do, who weren't there when it was like this, who was there when I didn't want them to be. You know, they become the objects of our, of our, that conflicted with our will or our wishes, our interests. But that's not what they were. That's what way we took it. They weren't born to do that. Yeah. It's really interesting when one has the mind of ill will. It's amazing how much of the world one feels has been created purely to annoy me. <laughs> With it's this, that, and this, that, and the other. I used to think, gracious, who devised all these things to annoy me, specifically to, to annoy me? I thought, I did. <laughs> <laughs> My will faculty did. It was just looking for something to, I want to go this way and it stopped me. I like that and it isn't there. I want that and it didn't turn up. I wanted it to be like that and they were like that. If I hadn't wanted it, and how can one not want it? What is wanted is a quality of, of goodwill, feeling, well, that's my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that everything is fantastic, but that one can have a non-aversion experience, spaciousness, acceptance, non-entangling not seeing once other people or eventually even your own body and mind as something that should come up with great stuff just when you want it. Something that should never have difficult stuff. Something that shouldn't always just immediately click into into line when you ask it to. Something that should be obedient. Yeah. When I want it this way, it should be that way. This is the behavior of a two-year-old. Um, clearly that behavior system is not completely redundant. <laughs> it's, it's still, it still can be there. Yeah. And so, because without this profound cultivation of, of goodwill, we do depend upon things being fortunate, successful, happy, smoothly flowing to feel good. We get our feeling good from things being going the way I like them to be. And so naturally one 
gets terrific skill at manipulating and moving things around to make them the way that I like them to be and to shut them off if they're not the way I like them to be. So when those systems are put aside or, or, or not available, the feel-good factor, which they depended upon, doesn't occur. What's gone wrong? Now it's the time to cultivate the citta, the intentionality of non-aversion, non-conflicting, non-pushing against, non-resisting, non-blaming, non-making yeah, it work. It's described in all directions, so we may pick the sign up from fortunate recollections. We've all experienced some degree of other people's goodwill. What did that feel like? Some degree of people's gratitude, care, courtesy, sympathy, politeness. We've all experienced that. What did that feel like? Picking it up, dwelling in it, feeling, yeah, I'd like to pay some of that back. I'd like to give back to that because that's just the nature of jitta. There's no debt, but it's just, yeah, that, that quality, I enjoy it, therefore make much of it expanded. Or other people, or creatures, or the natural um, directions one goes towards. So we even cultivate like that. Yeah. And probably in many cases easier towards others than to oneself. Because it can be the case as soon as one reflects upon oneself, we, we just observe the most difficult aspects. Mm. But certainly an antidote to that although it can seem a little bit stilted at first, is just to deliberately recollect one's precepts, not just the fact that one kept them or tried to keep them, but they meant something. We did think, yes, it's good to refrain from this. Why? This quality of sensitivity of conscience and the beauty of that. Without that, we're surely lost. So to feel not just that I'm such a good girl or good boy, but it's great gain for me that this quality is present. You know, other people don't have much of this. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, they don't have much sense of shame. It has arisen in, my, in here, in this one. This is a great gift that's been, that has occurred for me. Other beings have less of this. It's a shame for them, but I am endowed with this. Uh, I also, and the more one dwells in that, uh, one recognizes then I'm someone who can live without the stain of regret and guilt. Or such regret and guilt is there, is there from past actions or from what I think I should have done or could have been. Then if I even come back to that behavior, that quality, with a mind that's able to forgive and... Uh, you know, express one's vulnerability. This too, the mind does get swept away with recklessness. 
I should look after it more carefully. I should be more careful with this. Not, I should now beat myself up. I should be more careful with this in the future. These are triggers. These are difficult areas. Be more careful. There's a sense of, you know, wise exhortation that can occur. So when we reflect like this, we reflect perhaps on qualities where the possibility of goodwill can crystallize. And we're all accomplishing good deeds. And like for example, just even coming on retreat, simplicity, determination, patience, yeah, is anybody who has not had to be patient in this retreat? Is anyone who's not had to experience difficulty and had to stay with it? Who's not wanted to have something happen and not had it? Who's not wanted to eat or watch a television program or flick on the internet or you know do something and hasn't and hasn't and said no, I can't do that. Therefore, we've had to okay. Well, you know, this is this is the path. This is noble to voluntarily, fully knowing this, enter into it and meet the difficulty. This is courageous. Can that be? Can that quality be acknowledged? So we might, you know, even it stands a bit stilted at first because you have to to dwell upon these till you can distill the heart quality in one's practice and oh, gratitude I have received care I've received teachings I have been listened to I have given an opportunity yeah it doesn't feel so good but somebody gave me a chance or life gave me the opportunity this has arisen some people don't some people are in jail uh, you know very sick we tend to take health as, as a norm. Some people don't have health. Oh, we tend to, the ability to sit up we take for granted. Some people can't barely do that. I know quite a few practitioners whose practice is mostly about being ill, lying down, lying there feeling ill and useless and practicing non-aversion to it. Just resting awareness on the discomfort and the sense of failure until it begins to, their mind begins to soften into something else. So, this is great gain. And what one does, one's opportunity, what one makes of it, These are things to appreciate in oneself and in others. So it's not just the personal thing, but also something of a universal quality. This is the faculty of virtue. This is the faculty of patience. This is the skill of courage, faith, endurance. This is the skill of gratitude. You see it in yourself. You see it in others. You see it more in others. You pick it up from yourself. And... uh, so this is the domain in which we find a healthy atmosphere and we begin to learn to turn the aggregates. So the sanya, the perceptions, 
from which so many of these sankharas activations spring from the perception of pain or perception of failure or perception of being inadequate, the perception of oneself, then these sankharas start springing and generating kinds of mental phenomena, psychological states, difficult emotions. Then you turn the sanya towards something where fortunate uh, realizations occur. And then the sankharas that issue from them will be more encouraging, or at least derailing the, the afflictive ones. So if we can cultivate this, then we've definitely exercised the citta, uh, not just fed it, but also got it to, to do some skillful yoga, to twist, to bend, to flex, yeah, uh, to fully open into the fortunate. This is our good fortune. So over time you may begin to just settle more fully, notice particular topics or phenomena that you need to get some perspective on. Uh, and it's rarely the case that just locking into them you know, with a sense of figuring it out or working through it is going to bring the best results. First step is to be able to sense that and then even you know, it sounds stilted, but is this sankara, activations, perceptions, and what particular, what's it saying? What's its basic theme? Where is a sign, a quality that doesn't carry that theme? If it's carrying the theme of pressure, compulsion, tension, where is the sign, a characteristic I can observe anywhere? Yeah, that that reminds me, that brings the citta to awareness of openness or space or freedom. It could be the birds flying through the sky. You pick up that. Or the, the, the space element. So we look around. This, medit- this um, practices are holistic. Remember these people, early cultivators, were living out in the open air and picking up their meditations from just where they were living yeah, and picking up the signs of impermanence and change from the forests uh, and so on so it's not just something that's kind of narrowly focused um, so um, just one thing I thought I don't know how it feels for yourself, but I find the almsgiving, mealtime offering, is a time which carries the sign of a, of a, a, you know, a collective quality to it. It's the sign of dana, the sign of offering and giving, the sign of our reciprocity. I'm giving teachings giving food, you know, this to and fro. So clearly at the table you can only have half a dozen people or so, but it always feels, uh, it's up to you of course, but it always feels kind of strange to have people so far out against the wall as if, you know, 
uh, I'm wondering what's happening for you know, for him who's you know 30, 40 feet away. Why is why is there so much distance? As if they don't want to intrude. But the the uh, quality of, of this is 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 um, warm, friendly, <laughs> and whether you're physically offering or just you know part of the situation, I'd recommend uh, drawing closer. You know, I know certainly when you see in an Asian culture, there are different uh, traditions. One tradition is somebody has an offering then they give it to the next person. So the offering goes all the way around the room. So everybody's touched it before it's given. So they're all participating in it. Or some people, when they're offering rice, and there's three people holding on to them. <laughs> so they're part of it, like a, you know, like a cable is running through. And they're <laughs> so they're all sort of lined up with it. So they're, you know, the feeling of it's not just this way, it's also this way. You know, it's also amongst everyone who's part of it. So it just creates a, a richer sign. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you don't want to physically touch, then just even gathering closer might give a more richer f- feeling to the, to the occasion. <laughs>